Well, good morning. Is everybody glad to be in church? Are you glad we serve a miracle maker? That was a little weak. Are you glad we serve a miracle maker? And I'm thankful. I'm thankful also for the choir and Bradley and Holly Knight who have been here all weekend. Thank you for your guys' ministry. And uh, I'm just glad I'm not leading worship anymore. I have to be honest. Uh, rather let the professionals do it. But um, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn in Jonah once again to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to take you back to the early 80s. Anybody remember the early 80s? Okay really bad hair and some pretty terrible fashion choices, I think. Maybe I'm old, I don't know, but uh, maybe it's coming back. Could be. Um, but uh, how many of you remember Focus on the Family? Anybody, uh, they still have a ministry and uh, they used to have a, and probably still do have a radio broadcast. I grew up listening to Adventures in Odyssey and those shows. And there was a broadcast, I believe in 1984, where um, Focus on the Family put out this episode and it was a story told by Mike Adkins. And he told this story about a man named Norman. And some of you may have heard this story, but... Um, Mike tells the story and from his perspective, he was a traveling kind of a musician and he had a ministry where he traveled to churches and stuff. And his family, his wife and two young daughters moved to a new town and somewhere in Illinois, I'm not sure where exactly, but they moved to this small little town where there was kind of a church on every corner, you know, and everybody knew one another, small town USA, little league, all that kind of stuff. And he inherited some new neighbors. And if you've ever moved and you inherit some new neighbors, you're a little bit nervous. Like, who are these people? They're going to be living right next door to me. Well, the, the family on his left was a Catholic family. The family on his right was a retired minister and they became friends. And then there was a sweet uh, widow across the street. She was super nice. And then there was this broken down, dark, empty it looked, it was a house that almost looked haunted, okay? Anybody seen a movie where there's a haunted house, okay? It was just scary, dingy, dirty, weeds overgrown. You know, it looks like nobody even lives there, okay? And uh, so as Mike began to get to know the people around the, the, the town, he began to realize that there was a character in town that everybody seemed to know about. And this was, a, this was the man named Norman. Everybody knew who Norman was. He was, um, when you saw him, you couldn't help but notice him because it just looked like, the, the, he just looked odd. He dressed odd. He was filthy from head to toe, greasy hair, and looked like the, the crud had been on him for months rather than days or weeks. Now, this was a mining town, so maybe people just thought he worked in the mines or what have you, but um, he had funny shoes. He kind of flopped around in shoes that were too big for him. They were worn out and tattered, and some of the kids were scared of him, and then other kids made fun of him, you know, and everybody kind of knew who he was, but nobody really talked to him, and Mike was like, who is this guy? And one day, Mike was working in his yard, and he looked up, and here from that empty, broken down what he thought was empty house, here come Norman right out through the front door. And he thought, oh Lord, Norman is my neighbor. <laughs> and to be honest, Mike was a little nervous. He's like, hey, I've had young kids. You know, what kind of character is this guy named Norman? Is he, some, is he gonna do any, my family any harm? Is he trustworthy? What's he like? You know, and here's this guy and he lives right across the street. And like I said, Norman was filthy. He was a little weird. Um, people tried to talk to me, wouldn't really talk. Um, he was offensive and it was just obvious that Norman was a broken person. 
and Mike didn't know what to do. And honestly, it was a little embarrassing to even be seen with Norman. So people kind of avoided him and gave him his space. In fact, he tells a, a one, one story where, you know, back, the, back in this town and back in the 80s, everybody had Sunday night church. And one, you know, the church that had the 20 minute service, they got to Dairy Queen first, okay? And then all the other churches from around town kind of filtered into the same Dairy Queen. And he remembered one particular night where all the different church, churches were kind of there and they were having their ice cream. And hi, Fred, how was the service? Everybody had the best Sunday night service, you know, and, and then in walks Norman into the middle of all these church people and everybody kind of stops talking and he gets his ice cream and he kind of found a seat and nobody sat with him. In fact, they gave him all his space. And in the middle of all these church people, Norman was alone. Another time Mike was out working in his yard, Norman was working on his lawnmower. It looked like he hadn't ran his lawnmower in several years, let alone months. And as he was working on this mower, Norman seemed frustrated and Mike was feeling like God was, hey, you gotta go talk to Norman. And he was feeling bad about it. And he said, well, Lord, what am I gonna do? I don't know how to fix a lawnmower. What can I do? And he, so he decided to walk over and talk to him and tried to work on his lawnmower. Didn't really, and at one point, Norman, have you ever stared at somebody and they just lock eyes with you? Have you ever done that? You're like looking at somebody and they just stare at you. That's kind of what happened. And Norman just screamed at him, ah, just screamed at him. Mike didn't really know what to do with that. He said he'd never forget that happened, you know? I'm gonna leave Norman there in the yard with the broken down mower. And I want you to read with me in Jonah chapter one. I'm gonna finish the story at the end. So you have, to, you have to stay to the end, you can't leave. So Jonah chapter four, verse one. Now the context of this, if you've been in our series, you understand that Jonah has had a clear call from God to go to Nineveh and share the word of the Lord. Jonah did not wanna do that. And we've talked about how Nineveh was a, a harsh place, a, a sinful place, a despicable place. Jonah had no interest in them hearing the word of the Lord. He wanted them to receive the wrath of the Lord. And so he ran the opposite direction and God used a storm and he used a great fish and to turn Jonah around and Jonah goes to Nineveh and he does, as Pastor Key shared last week, he goes through the city sharing the word of the Lord. And the, the, the city of Nineveh, the king and the people, they repent and they experience the salvation the mercy and kindness of God. And then we pick up the reading in verse one of chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Now, here's what, God had just done a great thing and Jonah was mad about it. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now that's normally worship, but in this, from Jonah, that's complaining. I'm like, man, I'm thankful for all those things. Jonah was a little upset about it. He says, therefore, o Lord, therefore now, o Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah didn't reply. He just went out of the city, sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade so he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and it came up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it would wither. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? What God was saying here is, Jonah, you, you valued a simple plant that gave you some brief comfort. You had nothing to do with it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't make it wither. But yet you loved it. How much more should I love people whom I've created, whom I've placed here on this earth? How much more should I love Nineveh? And I think God is calling us to a kind of love. And we're gonna talk about that today, but I'll give you my big point up front. God loves people and the obvious is so should we. God loves people and so should we. And we've all heard this. This is obvious. Of course, it's true. It's all throughout scripture. In fact, there's an entire chapter devoted, devoted to the subject of love. We call it the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. It's read at weddings and uh, it gives us the definition of love. It gives us a description of, of love. And it even goes on to say, if we, whatever we do, if we have not this kind of love that God calls us to, everything that we do is without purpose and meaning. It's a waste of time if we have not love. And we are called as Christians to love like God. And love is at the center of everything that God is. And it is the reason for everything that he does. In fact, I would say it's not just something God does. It's who he is. Love is synonymous with who God is. It's his character. It's who he is. In fact, in John 15, it says this, this is my commandment you, that you love one another as I have loved you. First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And he gets pretty pointed here. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In fact, he goes on, he says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom, whom he has not seen. In other words, the people right in front of us, we are called to love them. And it's pretty pointed. If we can't love our fellow man, how can we love God? Love is who God is. Now here's our problem. And this is normal. We tend to love people who love us back, right? When I was looking for, um, when I was trying to figure out who I was gonna marry, I didn't actually try to find girls that hated my guts, okay? I tried to find someone that thought I was at least a little bit cool. And then I just tried not to embarrass myself, okay? Um, that's dating, just not, not making a fool of yourself, really. And so we're drawn to people who have like-minded interests, like-minded beliefs, similar, um, you know, hobbies, what have you. And we tend to be drawn into to those groups where we identify, we have common ground. And it's as we develop friendships and as we de develop relationships, of course, we're drawn to people who like us. Or of course, we like people who like us back. But here's the bigger point that I want us to understand is that God loves people that don't love him back. 
He loves people who do not love him back. And I believe that's what we are also called to do. We are called to love people who don't love us back. And that's a little bit more difficult. It's easy to love people who love us back. I don't know if you've ever been in um, some friendships or relationships where you didn't experience a true friendship. I remember one time I was in high school and uh, I had a buddy and guys are just kind of like this, but, um, but I remember I was making $6 an hour at my construction roofing job. So I, was, I had some extra money and my friend apparently knew this and we were hanging out. I forget what we were doing, but we were in a convenience store and we were buying some snacks for the road, a Mountain Dew or Reese's peanut butter cup, whatever. And he put his snack on the register for the cashier to scan so he could pay. And as soon as she scanned it, he reached in his back wallet or back pocket. And he said, oh man, I forgot my wallet. And then he looked at me, he's like, do you think you could pay for me? And I was like, Okay, it's like two or three bucks. I, I do get paid $6 an hour. So I, I paid for his, whatever he got. And then he, as soon as I paid for it and got the receipt, he said, ha, gotcha. I actually had my wallet. I just wanted you to pay for me. I was pretty, I was pretty mad. It was two bucks, but um, that took me a third of an hour to make. So anyways, the point is when people use us or abuse the relationship, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to get them back. I wanted to figure out how to, to, to re return the favor, if you will. And sometimes if we're not careful, our relationships can take off neg negative tones. We can become users. We can become loners. We can be distant or cold with our emotions. We can be in a room full of people, but we're not connected. We can be critics or where we just love pointing out flaws or um, we love to compare ourselves or somehow lift ourselves up over, up over people. Sometimes we can be outright enemies where we're fighting back and forth out of misguided loyalty or self-centeredness. But God calls us to be friends. He calls us to have love. True friendship is a relationship that provides trust and dependability we, when we care for each other. We're willing to speak the truth in love, not just for critics sake or to be, to be negative, but because we value the relationship and we want it to be healthy. We see value in others and we have a desire to cultivate growth in ourselves and in them. And this is my favorite part. Friends are allies in battle. When there's a time of struggle, we stand back to back or shoulder to shoulder and we fight with and for one another. And all of us can see that that's the kind of friendship, that's the kind of relationship, that's the kind of love that we should and ought to have with each other. But again, we tend to only offer that to people who will return the favor in kind. But God calls us to have a different kind of love, an unconditional love. The Greek uses the word agape, where literally God loves without, with no questions asked, no conditions attached. He loves. And so the next question is, how do we love with that same kind of love? And I wanna pause here and I wanna give you two thoughts um, or a few thoughts. Um, first of all, I want you to remember that God is the one who enables us to love like he loves. In and of our own strength, just on our own, we cannot love like God loves. We cannot, we don't have the capacity to love like he loves. In fact, a few weeks ago, I shared in the sermon where I talked about how Christ, just giving us the example of Christ and saying, okay, here's what Jesus did, now go be like him. 
That would be impossible for any of us to do except that Jesus sent us his spirit and he poured it out upon the, the church. And he said, I'm gonna give you my spirit. In other words, I'm gonna allow you, I'm gonna give you the power. I'm gonna enable you to be like me because without my help, you can't do anything. And so I'm gonna place my spirit within you. And that's, that sounds unbelievable, but that's exactly what the scriptures teach. When we come into salvation with Christ, it's not just about, oh, he's forgiven us and he's set us on a new path, which is, is part of it, but he's given us the power to live like him. He's, he's enabled us to be like him. And the word that the scripture uses for that process is sanctification. And so when we approach this idea of love, how can I love people? It's gotta be with the power of Christ at work in us. The other thing I wanna say is that in this day and age, we are on information overload. And sometimes we can have so much brokenness brought into our, brought to our, our awareness. You can scroll through your phone or, or news site or what have you. Um, anybody have social media? Anybody? Okay. You're too embarrassed to admit it, but y'all have it, okay? Um, you're scrolling through and you see a news headline. Horrible tragedy. Could be an earthquake or um, some sort of criminal activity resulting in the death of innocent lives. And you see that and you're like, man, that's bad. And then the next thing you see is someone's cheesecake that they ate for lunch. And you're just like, oh, that's kind of cool. I wish I had cheesecake. And then it's a cat joke. And then, um, then it's like some basketball score and somebody won or somebody lost and somebody did this. And then it's all this meaningless stuff. And then it's back to another tragedy where there's another loss of life or some horrific thing. And it just, it's not, it shouldn't be lost on us what that kind of does to our psyche. When we go from tragedy to joke, to just a waste of time back to a tragedy and it has an effect on our soul. And if we're not careful, there's two, there's two responses to this. We can feel the weight of the world. It can, in fact, even in our own church, even in your own world, there is so much brokenness. There was so much wrong. There's disease, there's cancer, there's, there's hardship, um, there's relational strife, there's separation of people, what have you. There's all this brokenness. And as Christians, as, as people in this information age, we are aware of so much. And I wanna remind you that you are not designed you and I do not have the capacity to carry the weight of the world. We are not designed to carry the weight of the world, but God is. And so I wanna remind, if you're feeling like, um, when I talk about this, and, and I don't want anybody to feel guilted in any, into anything or manipulated in any way this morning, because what I'm gonna share, it might come across that way, but before I go, that, but before I go there, I want you to know that you're not called to, to meet every single need that you're aware of. And so if you're tempted to, to feel that weight, I wanna free you from that. But the other thing that can happen is we become so desensitized and so numb to the brokenness around us that we just don't do anything. We're helpless and we don't know what the next step is. And so we're just like, man, I'm just gonna put my head down, live in my own little world, do what I have to do, pay my bills, go on with my life. And I would submit to you that there's a third option. Instead of trying to fix everything, which we cannot do. We don't have the capacity, the ability to do that. Neither, but, but neither do we have, we're not off the hook. 
And I would just submit to you that everyone can do something. You may not be able to do everything, but you can do one thing. And I believe that much like Jonah, we are all called to a Nineveh. We are called to a person. And it's not every single person and it's not every single problem and it's not every single group, but I believe that we're all called to, to love at least one person and to make a difference in their life. And all of us are sitting here today probably because somebody invested in us, right? So I wanna remind you, not, don't worry about everything. Don't feel the weight of everything, but we're all called to, to love. And I would submit to you, start with one person. So how do we love people? How do we love people that don't love us back? So let me give you some points. There's not in your notes. You can write these down if they jump out to you, but I'm gonna give you four things quickly. First of all, how do we love people that are far from God? How do we love people that don't love us back? First of all, let's start by adding value to their life. Matthew 5 says this in verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth. Then it goes on and it says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now I'm no biologist, I'm no scientist, but I took a few classes in high school and I remember a little bit and salt not only enhances flavor, but it's actually required, the human body requires a certain amount of sodium for life and health. And light, in a similar sense, is required for life and health. Our bodies, we uh, generate vitamin D from the sunlight, and that's important for health and also plants and animals. We depend on light. And of course, we know this darkness is just, it's just horrible. And I'm maybe getting older, but it seems I can't, I can't see anything anymore. And I need to go to Home Depot and get some better light bulbs or something. But when the house is dim and dark, it's just frustrating. And so light makes everything better. Salt makes everything better. In fact, like I said, those two things are required. They're, they're necessary for life and health. And I would just ask you this question. How do you add life or add value? How do you bring life giving? Um, how, do you, how do you add life to, to the people around you? You know, uh, Tony's, uh, Pastor Tony's dad was here with our staff just a few months ago and he shared some simple ways that we can add value to people. I'm, he gave us 12, I'm gonna give you like three, okay? But he talked about just simple, simple gestures such as waving or smiling at people. Have you ever been in a place where you don't know anybody and you're walking past them and you're just like, and you kind of make eye contact and you kind of, do the head nod, okay? Maybe that's a guy thing, but when I take my kids to school, all the parents are dropping off and there's some people I know and there's some people I don't. I kind of wave to the people I know and then there's a few people that I don't know and I'm like, what's up? <laughs> and I don't know their name and they don't know me, but we have this kind of back and forth, okay? And then there's a few other people that for whatever reason, like I, I, I was thinking about something and I didn't wave to them, I didn't say anything to them and they didn't do anything back. And now we're just in this awkward place. Like, we're like, who's gonna be first, okay? Like, are you gonna, okay. But here's the point, simple waves, simple gestures, a smile, simple way to add, add value to someone's life, to add someone, to encourage someone on their day. You know. Brother Mac, the, Tony's dad told this story. He waved to uh, people as he was going down the road in his car, just waved to them. Didn't know who they were. His kids would be like, dad, who was that? He's like, I have no idea. I'm just waving, you know? <laughs> and he passed this guy every single day. They had the same commutes, the opposite directions and about the same place in the road. He would just wave to the same guy every single day. And one day they actually ran into each other in a store. And this guy's like, I, who are you? I know you. And he's like, you're the guy who waves to me every single day. <laughs> 
And the long story short is that man and brought his whole family to uh, uh, Tony's dad's church that he was pastoring and actually came to know the Lord. <laughs> and it started just with a simple wave. I would also say, be lavish and authentic with your praise. Everybody needs words of affirmation. Everybody needs to hear job well done. And if you can't think of anything, go home, sit down, get out a notepad and try to come up with something, okay? Um, everyone needs to hear affirmation. And I think that if we put some intentionality into it, we can come up with something, no matter how they treat us, no matter what they do, we can add value to them with our words. I would also say, um, listen to them. When someone's talking, have you ever been in a conversation when they're talking and you're not listening to anything they say because you're trying to think about how you're gonna frame your next sentence? You ever done that? And then here's what happens to me. Like I say, hey, my name's Matt and they tell me their name and I forget it in like two seconds. <laughs> and I'm like, who am I talking to again? Okay, so you're laughing, so I'm not the only one, but Listen to people, be intentional. With, and then when there is an opportunity for the next step, um, you'll be ready to serve. Um, uh, Philippians 2, 3 says this, count others more significant than yourselves. Add value to people. And I believe God will show you how to do that. But one way we can do that is the second step. And that is build intentional community with them. Build intentionally, intentional community with them. Hebrews 10 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There's the add value. Let's consider it. Let's be intentional about it. And then it says in the very next verse, not neglecting to meet together. This is sort of a pet peeve of mine and I'm guilty of it because I have the screens and the phones and the tablets. I get it, okay? But we're far too often relating through a screen and not face to face. And every piece of research I can find will tell you that it is healthier for your mental health, your, all the things, it is better for us to be together in person. And so how do we build intentional community? Well, first of all, I think well, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Look at your schedule. You're probably already doing something and there's something on your schedule that you can just simply invite someone into. Um, Maybe you're running errands. Maybe you're headed to the store, inviting someone to just simply go with you, grab a coffee along the way. It doesn't need to be a, a, a separate, complicated, whole rearranging of your calendar. Just look at your calendar. What am I already doing and how can I in, be intentional with it? The other thing I would remind you of just community, community can be fun. It can be interesting. Build it around your passions. You know, every, every time I talk about fly fishing or whatever, people come up to me, will you take me fly fishing? Nobody ever wants to watch Penn State football games with me. I don't understand that. But my passions, Pastor Keith loves to grill, smoke, whatever. Like, what are you already, not smoke, but <laughs> that's, that's, gonna be in the, that's gonna be in the blooper reel, okay? He, he cooks meat, ribs, brisket, all that stuff. <laughs> just felt like I needed to clarify that. And he's, yeah, it's, I've been to his house, it tastes good. But build it around your passions, what you love to do. Invite someone into that. Will takes people frisbee golfing all the time and uh, invites people into that. What, you're, what you love to do, just invite people into it. It can be fun. And then I would also say, make it intentional. I've already touched on that, but 
Make it purposeful, connect it to the mission. God is calling us to love. What is he calling us to do? How can we use our gifts and passions um, in the way that he is calling us to? And I think the third thing is probably the hardest, and that is to be willing to share in struggles with them, to be willing to step into their place of, of struggle or battle. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and he has not another to lift him up. We need each other. We need community to help us through tough times. And we need to be willing to step into the struggle, the hardship of, of who God is calling us to minister to. And then finally, the fourth thing I would say is connect them to Jesus. And that's the one you might expect to hear, but in, be willing to introduce them to Jesus. Second Corinthians five says, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. He's using you and I to introduce him to the world, to the people around us. So what are some ways I can introduce them or connect people to Jesus, I would first of all say, don't force it, okay? Don't start with it, okay? Especially in this day and age and, and on our culture, if you don't know them first, you're probably not gonna do much uh, influencing if you just beat them with scripture. So I would say, don't force it. Look for and pray for the opportunities. Live like Jesus before them. I talked about like how God has given us his spirit to, to live like him. And so they may not be, not be reading a Bible, but they're reading you. Are you living out the word of God before them? And I'll also say, be ready to give an answer. And some of us can sometimes be under this weight of, well, I don't know all the theology and I don't know all the do doctrine. And I don't know all the, the, the questions and the answers to those questions. And what if I don't say the right thing? Well, we are called to be witnesses, or as this verse said, ambassadors, which is simply, we're just simply telling what Christ has done in us. We're just telling our story. We may not have the, the perfect answer for that question that we don't know how to answer, but we can just simply say, hey, this is what Christ has done in me. And then I would also add, pray that God would open their eyes to, to, be, sought, to be sensitive, to be open to what he has for them. Now, as I close, let's go back to Norman. I left him in the yard yelling at Mike over the mower, okay? Mike wasn't a mechanic, but he <laughs> kind of acted like he knew what he was doing, maybe looked at the spark plugs, made, made, made sure there was gas in it. And honestly, all he did was he, he said a prayer to the Lord. He said, Lord, help this lawnmower to start. And he pulled the cord and it just hummed like it had been, like just, just been tuned. And Norman just looked at him and for the first time, he gave Mike a smile and there was a green tooth here and a yellow tooth here and there was like one over here and that was, but then he just went off on his mower. Mike began to, as he, as he began to try to add value to uh, Norman's life, he began to realize that he, Norman needed help around his, his home. In the, in the cold days, he realized that Norman had an old coal furnace and he needed help bringing the coal in. So Mike started helping bring the coal in so Norman could have heat at night. And then as he, when he was inside the house, he began to see all these things, like the walls were falling in, wallpaper was falling, the ceilings were falling and there was dirt everywhere. So he began to clean his house when he had the opportunity to do little projects, even help Norman fix his bathroom and his shower. He said, Norman, you ever been clean? been a while, said Norman. He's like, 
fix your shower, fix your bathtub so you can take a shower. So he helped Norman get his bathroom put back together, even fixed his toilet. Now that is stepping into some struggle, okay? In fact, there was one night where he felt like God was telling him to fix it. And he's like, I don't want to, Lord, I don't want to. In fact, he just turned around and yelled, I'm not gonna do it. And his wife was like, who are you talking to? (laughs) And uh, what was crazy is the exact part needed to fix that toilet was hanging on the toilet in a new hardware shopping bag. And he's like, I don't know where it came from. I don't think Norman got it, but it was just there. And it was just like, it was almost like God was saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. Well, Mike began to just help him out and do different things. And then finally the Lord um, said, hey, I want you to take Norman to a baseball game. He said, what? He said, it's one thing to be in his house, just, you know, but to take him in public where like it's him and me, Lord, I don't know, like that's sort of embarrassing. He's sort of an odd guy. What are people gonna think? I don't know. And you can, I mean, and by the way, Mike understands today. He's like, God was working on me too. There was a lot of stuff that Norman was, um, helping Mike with. But Mike, he finally was like, okay, I'll, I'll take him. So he, he said, Norman, you ever been to a baseball game? He said, no. He said, would you like to go? He said, sure, I'd like to go. And so he got the tickets. He said, I'll pick you up in a couple days. And he stopped by Norman's house and Norman came out and it was the middle of the summer, you know, baseball season. And uh, Norman came out in a coat, a wool coat, all the way from here, all the way down to his feet. Just a tweed, old looking, worn out coat, but thick, heavy, hot. And Mike was like, Norman, you know, it's, it's hot. It's, it's gonna be a nice day. You don't need that coat. And Norman just put his arms around it. He wasn't taking it off. He's like, okay. So they get in the car and they drive to the stadium to see the St. Louis Cardinals play. And there's all these people there. And um, <laughs> he said, okay, all right. He kind of made up his mind. He said, when we get to the stadium, I'm gonna tell Norman, I'm not going in to the stadium unless he takes the coat off. And so gets out of the car. He said, Norman, I want you to leave that coat in the car. I'm not going in the stadium unless you leave it in the car. Well, Norman kind of looked and he felt like Mike was serious. So he said, okay. So he kind of reluctantly took his coat off and here Norman to dress up for the game had put on two pairs of dress pants, one over top the other. But the problem was that they were both split right up the back. Mike turned to Norman, he said, "Uh, put your coat back on, put, you know. (laughs) You're gonna need that. (laughs) Go to the game, you know, spend some time with them. Like I said, he helped him around his house. And finally the Lord said, Mike, today's Norman's day. By this time, Norman, he'd got Norman cleaned up, got him some new clothes and they'd been seen around town and everybody kind of knew they were, they were becoming friends. And the Lord said, Mike, today's the day I want you to share Jesus. I want you to share who I am with Norman. So he took a pastor friend and they opened the scriptures and Norman came to know the Lord that day. He said, you mean Jesus can make me clean like you washed my windows, like you cleaned up my house? He said, yeah. That happened because he added value, because he built intentional community, because he was willing to step into some struggle. And then he shared Jesus with them. You know, God loves Normans and God loves the Ninevehs of the world. It's because who our, it's, that's who he is. That's just who he is. We could ask the question, why? but that's who he is. And to be honest, we're Norman and we're Nineveh too. Our sin has come up before the Lord and it is despicable and it's filthy and it's unlovable, but God in his great mercy reached down and while we were undeserving, he loved us when we didn't love him back. 
And I'm grateful that God did that for me. And I'm confident that he's done that for every single person in this room. And if you don't feel the love of God today, I want you to know that God loves people even when we don't love him back. And God proved that through his work in Nineveh. Nineveh had no reason to earn or deserve God's favor and kindness, but he went anyways. And I would just remind you that we're not called to be like Jonah where we just do the bare minimum then and then exit. You can maybe make the argument that Jonah obeyed God and added value through the message, but he certainly didn't, didn't build the community and he didn't, he didn't step into their struggle. Let's not be like Jonah. Let's be who Jesus has called us to be. And like I said, I would just remind you, it's not, we can't fix everything. It's not for every single person. It may just be one person that God is calling you to. Maybe one small group of people. They're probably already in your world. You're not gonna have to travel outside of what you're already doing. Let the Holy Spirit show you who that person is. And then let's be faithful as he was faithful to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have loved me, that you have loved us. We are so undeserving. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's not a lot of difference between Norman, Nineveh, and us. Lord, we like to think that it's different, but in your economy, sin is sin. And Lord, there's nothing we have ever done or could ever do to earn your favor, but you gave it to us anyways. And so Lord, I pray that we would respond in kind to be your ambassadors, to be the church you have called us to be, to be like you. And we need your help. We need your power in us. We need your spirit in us to love like you. But Lord, we're saying here today before you to help us to love like you do and to love people that maybe can't even love us back at the beginning, but that's not what it's about. It's about honoring you and carrying out your call in our lives. And Lord, again, we just wanna respond in kind to how you've treated us. And so help us to do that. Lord, help us to love you better and love the people around us better. And Lord, you're gonna get all the glory and all the credit for it in the end. And, and I'm thankful for that. In your name I pray, amen. Let's stand and I'm, I'm gonna just share with you just briefly. Remember um, Love Inc., um, the project for Love Inc. Also Bradley and Holly Knight, if you're interested in knowing more about their ministry, they also have a table in the corridor. With that, you're dismissed. Thank you so much for your kind attention. We'll see you next week.